0: Welcome to the community development podcast, a podcast dedicated to community development practice and approaches, sharing our learning and connecting the workforce. My name is Russell. Hello, and welcome to episode 26 of the community development podcast little diversion from the usual format rather than record something brand new with a contributor I have gone back into my sort of personal archive if you like and dusted off an episode I recorded way back in 2017 as part of a support programme that I was managing at the time for the community's First programme in Wales and part of that broader service was developing some podcast media that just helped scratch beneath the surface of the community involvement activities that the workers in that program were developing in order to involve communities to involve people from different communities of interest different communities of place in their work in communities first a program that ran in wales from between 2002 to 2018 almost unparalleled in british social policy history a program of that nature running for so long there's a wealth of uh, information out there about Communities First, about what it what it was, and um, what it wasn't, and its successes and, and perceived failures. And this isn't specifically about that programme, but what it does, I think, is really nicely just scratch beneath the surface of some of the community involvement activities of two workers, one of whom, Peter Bainan, based in Swansea, and another one, Alan Herbert, based in Cardiff, both of whom were working in very, very ethnically diverse communities of those respective cities. And involving obviously the breadth of language and faith and so on that are part of those communities. Peter and Alan speak in the second half of the podcast. The first half of which is with Duncan Holton from the People and Work Unit, a charity based in Wales. And Duncan was one of the three authors with Anna Nickell and Chris Johns of a paper into the experiences of... Um, different ethnic groups in Wales with respect to poverty. That was published in 2016 by the Joseph Roundtree Foundation is still available on their website, uh, both English and Welsh. What I thought was a useful thing to do, given that we were talking about ethnically diverse communities, was to give some sort of insight into ethnicity in Wales via one of the authors of that paper. So Duncan joins us. It goes straight into the chat I had with, with Duncan and then on to Peter and Alan. It uh, makes lots of reference to Communities First, the programme, as I said, that came to an end in 2018. And in that respect, it's a little bit out of date. However, the experiences of working in ethnically diverse communities haven't changed. Programmes come and go, the challenges and the issues and the, the vibrancy and the energy of working in such ethnically diverse communities is much the same as it's ever been. Uh, so hope you find it useful and look forward to getting another new episode out to you soon. Thank you for joining us. Um, it's going to be a bit clearer as to what the context is in relation to community involvement and the involvement of BME communities and individuals in communities first in due course based on some of the work you've done. But if people aren't familiar with you, aren't familiar with the People and Work unit, what is it that they should know?
1: People and Work is a voluntary sector organisation. We work for a mix of commissioned research and evaluation. So, for example, a study commissioned by the Joseph Roundtree Foundation. We also do a lot of work for the Welsh Government. Then we have also have our own programme of action research. And for me, the focus of the research, a lot of our work is around looking at inequalities linked to poverty ethnicity and disability and often the three two or three of those can interlink so looking at helping people in this case looking at the links between poverty and ethnicity and what can be done to tackle those. So there's been two studies the first was a study commissioned by the Joseph Roundy Foundation in 2014 I think which was looking at poverty and ethnicity in Wales which was part of a wider UK-wide programme that the Joseph Rowntree Foundation had commissioned looking at various issues linked to poverty and ethnicity and as part of that there were a series of country studies and Wales was one of those countries and then a series of other studies looking at issues like employer behaviour and workplace culture, places and local labour markets, the role of social network, how people balance caring and earning responsibilities and the impact of the recession which were UK-wide studies. Although they were UK-wide studies, a lot of the research was conducted in England for those studies. And in order to pull together the findings from those studies and think about the implications for Wales specifically, the Joseph Rowntree Foundation commissioned a further study to produce a viewpoint to look at the implications of those studies for breaking the links between poverty and ethnicity in Wales. Which Anna Nicole, Chris Johns, and myself worked on. And when we talk about ethnicity in Wales, clearly Cardiff,
0: Newport, Swansea as well, certainly so Cardiff Newport with the docks, traditional docks population, Swansea to maybe a slightly lesser extent, have those communities where there are um, higher concentrations and more diversity in terms of ethnic- ethnicities. I suppose Wrexham probably more recently gets considered in yeah. the same sort of, sort of breath as well. Having said that, Wales is still quite ethnically or not undiverse, but you know there's less diversity oh. in Wales than some of the other home nations. Mm. But at a very local level, I think I'd be right in saying that you will find high degrees of diversity Absolutely. at a very local level. And when we say local, we're talking wards, certainly LSOAs then.
1: Yes. yeah. So, for example, there'll be some wards where up, up to 60% of the population will be from ethnic minority groups. I think more broadly, even where the numbers are relatively small, there are parts of Wales where the ethnic population is changing. Where, for example, you've had people who've come from some of the EU accession countries, like, for example, Poland or Czech Republic, which is changing the ethnic composition of areas from Wales, which traditionally have been much less diverse.
0: Well, I think both well, Wrexham would be, or some communities
1: yeah. within Wrexham, would, would would bear that out. Okay,
0: Communities first has responsibility to involve. People in the direction and the focus and the design of the community first program locally in terms of the activities that that are designed and delivered to address aspects of poverty to support people in all those sorts of ways. And we'll be hearing from community first staff in clusters in Swansea and Cardiff about some of the techniques and the very practical work that they do in terms of community involvement. It's important though to set a context. I think in terms of of what they're doing on the ground at a very local level in terms of what this research found as so we've, so we've got you to talk about sure. it but one of the, the caveats that you've sort of said uh, and, and were, were very helpful sort of reminded me on is that it's defining people by ethnicity is of some relevance and some use but to only define people by their ethnicity um, as I probably would bristle at if that happened to me sure. is not the full story and there's things to do with gender there's things to do with the countries from which they've migrated their migration journey and so on so can you just explain a little bit more detail about The, as it got a very special term for it as well. So I want to bring that in as
1: well. So, can you just maybe expand on that a little bit more for me? Sure. So, uh, one of the key aspects, or uh, I suppose a foundation for the research is, as we were saying, that people aren't purely defined in terms of their ethnicity, that it's often other characteristics about them, like, for example, um, their gender, or for example, their migration history and the ways in which they've travelled to Wales. So, for example, the experiences of someone who's come as a recently arrived asylum seeker will be very different to, for example, someone who is from an ethnic minority, but whose family has lived in Wales for generations. and, And you can see that in terms of areas like, for example, their English language skills, their access to benefits, the types of social networks, so, for example, how many people they would know in their community, the extent to which they would understand how, for example, the benefits system worked, their understanding of, for example, their entitlements to healthcare and so on, are likely to be very different, not because of their ethnicity, but because the routes through which they come to Wales are very different and similarly for example the experiences of men and women from different ethnic groups can be very different the experience of disabled people within ethnic groups can be very different from people who are not disabled the experience of young and old there's a whole range of ways in which experience is defined not purely by not simply by people's ethnicity so bearing that in mind then for your
0: Um, let's say so, the the average community's first worker, increasingly more as the way the programme has gone, it's focused on the individual, their circumstances, being much more people-centred about um, helping people back into work, what are the educational and employment circumstances to that individual, their history, their level of education, qualifications and so on. There would appear to be merit then, if I've I've understood you correctly, in when dealing with somebody from an ethnic minority uh, is finding out a little bit more about their background in that respect. What is the family relationship? You know, How long have they lived in the country? How long has the family lived in the country? Have they married into a migrant family or uh, an ethnic minority but settled, as it were, the family? So, okay, that's, that's that's probably very, very helpful. Did you get your special term in then? No. <laughs> Go on, get your special term in because I've, I've, I've raised expectations yes,
1: and the term is intersectionality, um, which describes the way in which lots of different facets or parts of a person's identity shapes their experiences.
0: I think that's very helpful, because when we were doing some of the initial research with focus groups into the LIFT programme, when that was still at a sort of a pilot stage, so that was um, the Tackling Workers' Households programme, I think we're still called the Tackling Workers' Households programme at that stage, it was clear that people had to investigate, if you like, the household status of, of an individual yeah. that they were working with in order to gain yeah. to gauge whether they were eligible for that sure. programme or not. So on a very, very sort of technical level. And some clusters previously hadn't inquired along those lines mm. they were very centered sure. on that individual which is great but not taking into consideration sure. that that sort of concentric circles sure. that immediate sort of family household sort of network sure. so I think there's a sort of like a parallel there in terms of finding out okay what are the the other factors what sure. are the other relationships and circumstances that define who an individual is I suppose sure. I'm getting sort of too sure philosophical about it
1: no and i think that's a fundamental importance of really focusing upon individuals and we would strongly argue that applies to people of all ethnicities mm. it's not purely mm. an issue mm. for Indeed. ethnic minorities If, yeah. for example you're working say people in porth or the Wonder, you'd want to know more about their individual circumstances in order to know what their needs are what their aspirations are what types of support they what assets they've got at the moment you know where there's what challenges they face and so on, in order to be able to help them Mm. appropriately and effectively. So it's certainly not something that's unique to ethnic minorities. I suppose the other point I'd want to make is, well, stressing the importance of thinking about individuals. That doesn't mean we can't make some broad generalisations about people from ethnic minorities. Um, So, for example, in general, people from ethnic minorities are more disadvantaged than the white majority population. But even then, you need to then think about different ethnic groups within that. So that for example, levels of poverty amongst the Chinese ethnic minority group are generally much lower than those from Pakistani and Bangladeshi groups. So I think at that level it's useful to be aware of, for example, the likelihood that say someone Bangladeshi and Pakistani heritage of being in poverty. The likelihood is that they will be in poverty and in deeper poverty than members of other ethnic minority groups. But obviously, if you were working with them, you'd want to get to know that family and find out more about what they're doing. It's quite possible they might, Mm -hmm. for example, have a very high-paying job in the NHS, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: And of course, there's poverty within the white, absolutely Welsh, sure, British-born population as well, which won't be any surprise to anyone. The Cooney's first uh, program listening to this, obviously. So, what some of the sort of the headline findings then from from the research?
1: Sure, I suppose. Some of the key headline findings are the first point, and we've obviously touched upon this in a sense that people of all ethnicities experience poverty, that whilst poverty levels are generally higher from people of ethnic minority groups, they're also high for the white majority population within Wales. Um, but as we've touched upon then, if you're looking across ethnic minority groups, there's a con- considerable range of levels of poverty for those different ethnic minority groups. But it does depend upon what particular measure of poverty you're looking at. If you're looking at something like education and attainment, it's actually ethnic minority groups are making a, have made a great deal of progress in the last five to ten years. Um, and many ethnic minority groups are now outperforming white British, white Welsh um, pupils at uh, 16. So you do have to be careful in terms of generalising mm, about mm-hmm. this. But I think another key thing is that there's no necessary link between people's ethnicity And poverty levels. The while at the moment within Wales we observe generally higher levels of poverty amongst people of ethnic minorities, there's no necessary relation there and if you say you're looking at a UK level you can see changes in the levels of poverty of different ethnic minority groups over time. So poverty can go up and down for different ethnic minority groups but of course also across different places as well i think this illustrates those differences illustrate the point there's nothing necessary or automatic about Mm. this we can break the link between poverty and ethnicity and that was one of the key reasons why the jay have commissioned this program in terms of giving us a better understanding of what the links are between poverty and ethnicity and also what can be done in terms of action around that
0: That's interesting, Duncan. I mean, in terms of where the programme is at the moment, Communities First, in this financial year, we have an increased focus on employability. There's been an emphasis and a focus on it for a while. Who knows where we're going with the programme after this financial year? But there were some interesting, significant findings in relation to income and employment in the research as well. I think
1: focus first on employment, because employment levels have a key bearing on income levels. Um, And I think the headline findings are that generally levels of employment among ethnic minority groups are lower than the white majority population so there is a challenge in terms of unemployment and that's one of the reasons why levels of poverty are higher for many people from ethnic minority groups but there's also a secondary factor that where people from ethnic minority from some ethnic minority groups are in work they tend to be in more poorly paid work than the white majority Now, that's not across the board there are some groups like for example The Chinese population that break that relationship that tend to be in higher paid work than the white majority population. But for some groups, like for example those of Bangladeshi and Pakistani heritage, there are significant challenges around what you might call poor work, and in supporting those people to progress within that or move to other occupations is a key challenge and ways in which we could reduce their levels of poverty. Um, Another key part of this is around racism and discrimination that there is evidence of discrimination in relation to recruitment now it's difficult to evidence there's certainly a strong perception amongst ethnic minority groups that racism is a key barrier to recruitment for them finding work and so on and where studies have been done using dummy or fake applications one has a name that's clear from the white majority another has an ethnic minority name those applications from the white majority are more likely to be accepted so there is some evidence of discrimination there and certainly clear perception but if you're actually looking at what people earn when they're in work there's very little evidence of a wage gap at that level so people from different ethnic minority groups doing similar work get paid similar amounts and this is one of the areas where wales differs from the rest of the uk so the key issue is what people do and the choices that people make in terms of the which areas of work they're in, that's much more important than issues around discrimination around, for example, wage, right. around wages. So the key challenges for all groups are around unemployment, which is higher for some groups, and this issue around poor work, um, and that they disproportionately affect some groups. So, for example, levels of unemployment amongst white gypsy, Irish traveller groups in Merthyr are amongst some of the highest in the whole of the UK, and there are particular issues around concentration in poor work for Caribbean and Bangladeshi groups. Right.
0: And presumably, some of those jobs, some of those sectors, will there will also be a place dimension to those. There'll sure. be clusters of those sorts of jobs yeah. as well, maybe in some of the manufacturing areas, yeah. um, heads of the valleys areas, perhaps as yeah. well. So there's a, always a place dimension. And it's important to remember yeah. that communities first, Absolutely. primarily. almost exclusively perhaps but certainly at uh, a programme level is a place-based yeah sort of programme sure okay
1: and I think place is another of the key dimensions that affects people's experiences um, that place as you're saying affects um, the type of local labour market opportunities there are but it also has big impact on for example the quality of public services that you can access if you're living in an area with good schools that's great but many ethnic minorities are concentrated in areas that are more socioeconomically disadvantaged, many of which will be community-first areas. Mm-hmm. And on average, schools in those areas face more challenges and often struggle to provide the same quality of education that a school in a more affluent area might face. So that's another way in which place can affect that. And finally, place, place can have a big issue on how people feel, their day-to-day experiences, the kind of sense of inclusion, the sense of being part of a community can vary massively. And certainly when we did the research several years ago, people talked very positively about some places that were on the face of it were were economically poor, but were seen as very vibrant Mm. communities. Mm, 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 mm. Um, Communities First was certainly a key part of that, but it wasn't the only, obviously not the only factor. Mm. Um, But in terms of shaping people's sense of place, that sense of belonging, and people often, Mm. while they really liked the areas they were living in were often very reluctant to leave those areas because of what they perceived as for example much higher levels of racism outside those areas and certainly for some ethnic minority groups there is a a challenge in in that they are not very mobile that they tend to stay in particular places often because of the sense of security the social networks and so on that are grown up in those areas but again it's difficult to generalize there'll be other ethnic minority groups for example those who come who traveled from eu accession countries in search of work are often much more mobile much more willing to travel Mm. throughout wales in search of Mm. work and therefore tend to experience lower levels of unemployment because they're much more willing to move and travel in search of work but may find it much harder to develop the kind of social networks to fit in and belong to communities because they're moving so much Okay. We're finally before we start talking about some of the practical work that
0: Communities First yeah. is doing in, in, in Swansea, Cardiff, and Newport. Some of the implications then for people who are working in this realm, not exclusively for Communities First, was a very helpful summary document of the of the paper. ...that was published in in February... ...we can make this available to to accompany this podcast... ...on on the Learning Zone... ...is that, uh, and certainly under the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act... ...there's a big opportunity now to break some of these links... ...between poverty and ethnicity... ...to be more engaging... ...to be more um, involving then... ...to use the term that we use in the programme... ...and some of the recommendations that you make... ...in terms of the implications for action... ...on poverty and inequality and and ethnicity... Mm -hmm. centres on things like engagement... ...to test ways of communicating... ...and providing reliable information... There's some some recommendations here around identifying, and that's that's often can be a challenge for some of the more hidden groups, but to be more proactive in engaging with disengaged groups. So, for example, as part of family and community engagement, schools could perhaps engage with parents from ethnic minority groups. And there's a parallel there probably with some of the community's first workers.
1: In terms of some of those other implications, is there anything else that you'd want to highlight here? Uh, I guess one of the key things is that there's no single solution here. There's no, no of course. silver bullet. There's yeah. no single thing that would break the link between poverty and ethnicity. But equally, I think there are lots of opportunities. Some things are quite simple, some things are much more complex. So on the complex end, it would be looking at, for example, how you can shape labour markets. But at the other end, I think a lot of the work around how you can support, enable and encourage people to make better use of public services, I think there's lots of scope for lots of opportunities there to taking action. And I think ideas around person-centred planning are critical there because it's thinking about the needs or really focusing on the needs of an individual and the ways in which we can ensure that public services meet people's needs is a key part of it. It's also how we break down the potential barriers that mean that people are not accessing or not taking up public services. Now that may be relating to ignorance, that people just don't know what they're entitled to, they don't know what the services are or how to access them. But it may also be linked to issues around trust and potentially fears around racism or discrimination. And I think this brings in the point you're range about being much more proactive and really trying to build bridges and in between services and communities to ensure that people not only know what they're entitled to, but are supported and encouraged and want to use those services. So there's
0: clear parallels there you're talking about public services Mm. but there's clear parallels with communities first in terms of how they design job clubs and work clubs how they design some of the advice type services around financial advice, debt management and things like that isn't there?
1: The only other thing I might want to add is around, we talked about the importance of person centred services the other side to it is that many of the needs of people from ethnic minorities are the same as those of the white majority population, they need access to good schools they need access to healthcare. they need access to good quality information advice and guidance they need help with debts. they need help with housing mm. and so on so their needs aren't unique the challenge is finding ways to ensure that the services that we've got which may be state services it may be the work of communities first are meeting the needs of those groups and also yeah. that the engagement is there to ensure that any potential barriers to using those services are broken down and you're actively at reaching out and engaging people if anybody
0: wanted to know more a little bit about this work presumably welcome to get in
1: touch with you at the people and work unit and we can make some of the contact details available with the with the podcast within wales while there is a, a public commitment to tackling poverty and also tackling the links between poverty and ethnicity we're not making fast enough deep enough progress in terms of breaking those links so there's a real need for new and innovative actions in order to break that link which is a perfect link
0: to the next conversation in terms of actions. So, Duncan, once again, thank you very much, and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Community Development Podcast. My name is Russell Todd. You can follow the podcast and myself on Twitter at comdevdpodcast, c o m -M d e v t podcast and at Llanerch, double L-A-N-N-E-R-C-H. That's been a helpful overview of the JRF work and the, the viewpoint work that, that followed it. So let's uh, now involve Peter and Alan from Swansea and from Cardiff. Hello, gents. Hello. Uh, thank you for coming Hello. along. The work has outlined that JRF has done has outlined the importance of being aware of particular ethnicities, particular groups, some of the characteristics of those groups, things really interesting how it's important to not just look at a homogenous group but to look at for example the migration path that people Mm. have undertaken to to come to to, to Wales or or to Cardiff or to Swansea. So what I'd like to do now with you both is just kind of get a better flavour of how you involve people from the BME communities, migrant workers as well perhaps, refugees or those groups as well but in a very practical way within your community involvement work. So before you do that, it's probably helpful just to explain a little bit about who you are, your area, and give a flavour as well of the geography and the demography if people don't know
2: the communities you're in. Alan? Uh, My name's Alan Herbert. I work for South Riverside Community Development Centre. We're one of the four third sector organisations that lead on the delivery element of Communities First within within Cardiff. The uh, particular cluster that we've got, it covers 18,000 plus people and it covers the three wards of Booptown, Grangetown and Riverside. It's not all of all of those wards. The wards themselves uh, reflect a real intensity of people from other communities and other cultures, and they have done for many years. People would know the, the Tiger Bay area of Cardiff of old, and that's the area where the first multicultural communities of Cardiff were, were created and that they came with the coal industry in the late part of the 19th century, early part of the 20th century, and has developed through the years. That was added to by the amount of people that came from other, particularly in sub, uh, Indian subcontinent areas in, into the country in the 1950s, 60s and 70s, and has since been built on by a huge plethora of other communities that have come into the city. So we tend to work with as many of the communities as we can. We'll take this as much as we can a similar approach to working with those communities, and it's one that's very much driven by our community development principles, which we've incorporated into the way that we enact our community involvement processes. And our basic take on that is you have as many different ways in which you relate to communities as is, as is needed. We've, we've been part of a whole process within the city that's broken down the gatekeeper type mentality that did exist for a number of years for all the best reasons. In a lot of cases, it's not as sinister as it, as it sounds. People were protective of their communities. Uh, but we've, we've got to the stage now where we will work with the, the people who are who are respected within those communities. We'll work with the people who are respected within the particular religious parts of those communities but we'll work with numerous other levels as well we'll work with with adult men we'll work with adult women we'll work with young men we'll work with children we'll work with particular little subgroups within communities and you can't assume that any of the communities everybody from India is the same they're not in the the same way that everybody from the UK is not the same Mm -hmm. so it takes a long time to realize the nuances within those communities and the way you do it is through Keeping communication channels alive and analysing the information that you got, checking back with people, and making sure that you're continually, continually refining the ways you work with communities.
0: Presumably, the different cultural and the sort of linguistic aspects of all those different communities probably is a is a challenge.
2: Then perhaps a you know, yeah. good challenge, but it's absolutely huge. Um, uh, a lot of people that, that come, uh, as particularly people. That, I mean, we're. The majority of people that, that came all the way up until the, until the mid-70s at least were people that came as economic migrants. And often the, that, the very nature of that economic migration meant that they were coming from areas of their country where they, they couldn't make enough of a living. Mm. And often those areas were more remote areas, they were country areas. A good example is some of the Pakistani communities of, of, of Riverside. They come from the, the real northwest tip of Pakistan. I mean, it's a really remote Area of Pakistan, mm. example around language. They speak a, a dialectic language that's only spoken by two percent of the people in Pakistan, and is spoken by nearly fifty percent of the Pakistani people in Riverside. Mm. So that's an indication of the, the 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 type of things you need to understand mm. around 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 language. And uh, yeah. I think that's the sort of point that illustrates
0: what Duncan's talking about yeah. in terms of you know, getting to, there's there's not a homogenous or homogeneity is that the word
3: yeah. within certain ethnic groups as well um can, so, I, can I just take a yes. point um just following on from that with the um we work largely with the bangladeshi community in swansea um and the majority of them speak a language called Sileti and there's actually no written form of Sileti. so that that is a massive issue for us when we try to engage with them if we are for example translating something into arabic that's fine but we can't actually translate anything into Sileti. Because it doesn't exist in its written form. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Sounds a bit like mean. my Welsh. There's not a written form for my Welsh. <laughs> anyway,
0: um, so but, yeah, to give a flavour of, of your cluster yeah. in Swansea, Peter, yeah. whereabouts in the yeah. city are so, you?
3: So, uh, hi, my is Peter Bynum. I'm a community engagement officer for the South Cluster in Swansea. The South Cluster has a population of about 12,000 people. Um it covers probably about four or five very distinct communities. We have um, the Sandfields area of the city, which is right on the seafront, um, surrounding the old Vetch Field and behind um, Swansea Prison. And then we travel up through the city centre, the um, Devati area of Swansea, and then into the old industrial heart of the city, I suppose, the Havard and Landor. And then further on up then towards the motorway, towards uh, the community of Plasmal. The with the BME communities that we largely work with are the Bangladeshi community and they are based in both the um, Sandfield area, of the city and the Havard even though both Bangladeshi communities very different very different with regards to the percentage that work percentage that don't work, the type of work they do so they are very different apart from that we have a large um, percentage of um, people from Nigeria and um, West Africa now and in the last eighteen months, two years, um, we have seen a dramatic increase in people from the Middle East, um, and that's largely due to Swansea having a city of sanctuary status. So um, that has presented new challenges for us with regard to language, but we do have the benefit that a lot of those countries do all speak Arabic, so we can we can communicate that way. Right, that's that's very helpful. Got a bit nostalgic when you mentioned the Vetch
0: there. <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of. Your community involvement plans. Mm-hmm. There's clearly quite a lot of diversity within those communities. There's a lot of need. There's need for the uh, the white Welsh-born populations within those clusters as well, of course. And this it's, this is not solely about BME communities, but in terms of trying to involve people from those communities, what are some of the sort of techniques, or what are some of the the practical things that you've had to that you've had to do? To make some of the the services or the offer that the Communities First has available for them relevant, accessible, um, and, and meeting
2: their needs. From our point of view, it's the way we operate as as a, as a community organisation, which we which we obviously embrace within the Communities First program, and it's also very much to do with the fact that we manage a lot of a lot of community facilities. We, we've got we. The South Riverside Community Development Centre owns one building. It's it's the rear end of a church building. It's got a community hall. We've got two other buildings in the area that we also control. We've got on long-term lease from the local authority called the Riverside Warehouse and the Wyndham Street Centre. We've got uh, offices and a training room in Butong Community Centre. And we we, uh, co-manage a facility in the middle of Grangetown called The Buzz. And more recently, we also co-manage... Uh, uh, a community room that's attached to a new li- new hub in Cardiff which is the 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 response within Cardiff to to reshaping library services and bringing in more more a broader range of council services into that and the consultation process that led up that in Grangetown noted that we needed to have a community space and we've taken on the co-running of that space, particularly how that space is used out of library hours, so the community space is used in evenings and weekends, and we caretake that space and we share the booking responsibility. So a huge part of how we relate to communities is about a much broader offer. It's, it's not just about how we might relate particular services or particular projects, it's about how we relate to people in their everyday lives. So the fact that that we've got spaces that p- people might use for a birthday party, they might use for a, a, a religious celebration. They they we another thing we often do and we we are, we are very very open to is giving people spaces where they can just meet because often you get people that want to meet their own issues mm-hmm. and concerns, and they might out of those issues and concerns form some kind of campaigning group or some sort of action group and. They can only meet in their kitchen so many times before it starts to get on everybody's nerves.
0: I can remember being part it was very, one of the early inquiries that took on the, the, the support service or the advice service, as we were calling it back then. Around 2009-10, there were several community groups um, based around ethnicity, mm-hmm. um, nationality in Newport. And um, you had the Russian-speaking Women's Association. There was a Darfur organisation, there was a Somali group, there were, it was very, very diverse, African, European, Asian, and uh, they'd come together to basically agree some form of tenancy in uh, and, and terms of use of a community space yeah. in the Pill yeah. part of Newport, yeah. and of course, very, very diverse, and um, it was fascinating seeing some of the cultural, and some of the gender, <clears throat> and some of the faith kind of... Um, uh, factors, if you like, at play. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Close up, and, and 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 you know, massive, massive eye opener for me because traditionally, in sort of community development terms, I'd worked in largely you know white valleys communities yeah. in the Gwent valleys in Mirtha as well. So it was great seeing that up close and seeing that dynamic. Yeah. But the, the space, I think, yeah. you know, the point yeah. I'm trying to make is the, the space is it's critical it's yeah. Crucial, yeah. You know, And rather than having all of them having locked their own little space. Yeah. You know,
2: but, but t- but t- in inner in, in, in a city environments now, A space is a premium anywhere mm-hmm. and space is expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and where twenty years ago you could probably negotiate with a church that you get a church hall for free, they're up against it. Mm-hmm. So even mm-hmm. church halls now mm-hmm. cost you twenty, twenty five quid an hour. So mm-hmm. It's responding to the relative levels of poverty within those communities and allowing them access in. We as a a community organisation, and we've incorporated this once again into some of our community's first work, You know, there are certain groups who who we've never charged and we never will. Mm, There's a a, a small little Urdu school that meets in our centre and has for 20 years. We've never charged them a penny. We've got no intention of charging them anything. And what, what we get out to that... Is they are now a time credit partner. They, they, they become a route into certain parts of the community that you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily reach. We can promote homework clubs through them. Mm. There's all manner of different things that that roll out of, of of a certain level of openness and and availability and making sure that that access is is a prime element in what you do
3: yeah just just to follow on from that about space um it, it, if we're focused on the sandfields area um there is there is no space you know, that sounds crazy because you're in the city center but there is you know there is a community center but that is booked every day and i think just following on from that point which is a cracking project in 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 swansea and, and where we probably been able to engage with our BME community the greatest is is on the old vetch field when they when they knocked that site down there is now the vetch community garden and that's been there for five years now um, people can only it's not they don't class it as allotment they class it as a community garden um, you have to live in the sand to have us have an area and it's one place you can go in the city and see people of all different backgrounds mix and that's where we have had our greatest success is going down there on an informal level and just striking up conversations because the difficulty we've got is yes we have churches and yes we have there's a big mosque in Swansea but if you want to put on a course in a church that could be a barrier in itself for other people from religious backgrounds who don't necessarily feel comfortable going in there so I think that's the point you've got to meet in a place that feels comfortable for all and is accessible for all as well. Totally agree. Mm. I mean, we're, we're adamantly both religiously and culturally neutral in everything mm. we do.
2: Mm. We, we encourage as many opportunities as possible for people to come together, mm. but you recognise there's times when, when they need they need to meet in a particular way with a particular group. Mm. And another aspect of, of w- where we are, in, on top of the cultural diversity, and I'll I, I could talk for the next quarter an hour no on the different cultures that are in the area. That it's absolutely immense the different types of cultures that are there and the different types of places people have come from. But it's also the intensity of religious observance. Um, we've got a, a really massively high level of religious observance in the area. Both we've got three mosques, a Hindi temple, a Sikh temple. We've got very flourishing churches that are again the African communities Mm. are are bolstered on top of an already quite rich attendance from from Caribbean communities and we've even got the the best attended Catholic church service in the city on a Sunday and that's Eastern European people coming in and they've got a a priest who speaks Eastern European languages and that's packed out Mm. so there's an incredible uh, intensity of religious observance It, it brings challenges because where, where different religions rub up against each other at times you need, you need to manage and mediate, at times we've had various instances where you, 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 you need to make sure that people are living in that sort of harmonious way with each other uh, but it also brings loads of opportunities as well uh, and major to those are just about every religious leaning will bring with it a certain aspect about giving back and about being generous with your time, and so we we build a lot on that. We don't we don't we don't go counter to that. We right. work with it, and okay. and it's a it's a huge benefit within and to us. It gets incorporated within the community involvement aspect of what we do, right. because it's 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 as well as what we might do in promoting volunteering. You've got, you've got hundreds of people that are volunteering every day of the week anyway, yeah. and they're doing it off the back of their religious observance. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I think I think a lot of us would recognise we've worked a lot in the programme, community development context. Mm. Recognise that you know faith for some people is a very motivating force. Like I can remember the number of times working with like small sort of congregational chapels in the valleys, yeah. Baptist churches, you know your traditional sort of, uh, yeah. uh, sort of non-conformist sort of fabric. Yeah. But then also your, you know your, your Church in Wales, your Anglican,
2: yeah. uh, Catholic as well. well. One of the difficulties uh, that we've had with time banking because all of the community first areas in Cardiff now, along with some other services from the council, uh, use the time banking mm-hmm. uh, time credit system, and we have had difficulties with that because. The, the notion of reward, mm. which a time credit is, is somewhat of an anathema to people who are volunteering and giving time on the back of their faith. Because the type of response you get is, I don't want a reward. Mm. I'm doing this because mm. I want to. It's mm. within my faith. Mm. You know, so I, I don't want a, mm. a, a free cinema ticket for doing this. What we tried to do with that, and it's worked, worked a treat with some people, we're, we're in the process of trying to embed it a bit further Is to say that you can use time credits as a way of increasing your your religious observance by pooling them, Hmm. giving them to a to a play group, Hmm. and then they can go to the cinema. So it it, you know but but it it is it's an indication of of the type of negotiations you have to go into with, with groups that are particularly. Have a particular view around why they're doing things, and and you're coming in with something that might be a bit alien to them. So you can't just keep battering them with it. You've mm. got to negotiate your way into it. Sounds the very
0: sounds very entrepreneurial <laughs> on <from> your part. <laughs> yeah. Do you mm. find, in terms of talking about faith, religious observance, mm. things like that? Uh, I mean, one can be flippant and sort of say, you know, the, the calendar must have, you know, tons written on it for different festivals yeah. And, and, yeah. Uh, and and different sort of periods that, that that
3: are important to different faiths. First question, do you find you've had to get to know more about yeah, some of those? definitely. And I, I can even give you an example it's now. Something that's like, for example, this was last week. We know that the um, Bangladeshi community, specifically the ladies, love to do physical activity. They don't have a great opportunity to do it. Um, a lot of them are very... Um, a large percentage of them don't work, they look after the children so they love to do physical activity. At the end of the month now there is a get fit week or something along those lines. So my colleague went off new to the uh, cluster with myself and we arranged various activities that, they, that they've that they done previously. Things like um, Zumba and like, fit, it's called Fit Steps, so it's like around dancing. That was fantastic, all planned. Booked it all in and then we discovered they're, they're fasting for Ramadan. And it's like that has totally slipped our mind. Mm-hmm. And the difficulty is they won't come along because the ladies are so tired because they're not eating. And I think that's, that's a valid point. You've got to be aware of the different things and the different festivals. But to know them all, I, I don't know if you'll ever you know, not make that mistake, yeah. if you know what I mean.
2: And I think one of the ways that we, we, and again, it's our experience as a community centre as much as the Community's First programme with this, is we've consciously developed a multicultural workforce so you've got you've got a massive advantage around language in in our office there's there's i don't know 20 languages spoken mm. with the with the staff group you know we've got we've got a, one and that goes right the way through the playworkers admin workers you know it's mm. it's, 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 it's not the do are the the frontline community's first staff um we got the, a good good example of that is one one of the one of the playworkers we've got she's she's hungarian she married a, a sudanese guy so she speaks Hungarian, Arabic and English. So you can't buy that. No. <laughs> you know? no. and, 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 and it's there on tap. And know?
0: Helen from your team, Helen Edgeworth, when yeah. she joined us for one of the previous podcasts and was was touching on some of the, clearly because it's, you know, it's part of her work as well in terms of community involvement within the uh, a lot of the learning strand that she yeah. does, some of training, that was, was very, very clear about that sensitivity and mm. that acknowledgement of different yeah. groups and ethnicities. So
2: you bring volunteers into the mix as well, you know, so yeah. you, and, and we, we, we do it in a very conscious way, you know, we, 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 it's not random, mm. you know, we, we will spot gaps and we will develop it. We, we, we've been working more with, with people from a whole variety of Eastern European countries who have come into the city in the last, I don't know, six, seven years. Mm. The first tranches of people that came in were, were Polish people, some of the people from the Czech Republic. Generally, they, they were temporary economic migrants. They, 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 weren't, they weren't people f- sort of fleeing anything other than, than, than the, the particular arduousness that they were, they were experiencing within their country and their ability to earn money. So they were using their European status in order to come here. We had very little problem with communicating with those. But the newer communities that have come in from Estonia, from Romania, from Bulgaria, Lithuania, that there's a lot more difficulty with those. They're coming from more entrenched areas of poverty. They're coming from with much lower levels of educational attainment, and they're often fleeing a lot of prejudice to do with their Roma status as well. Mm. Our response to that was we identified a volunteer from the community that spoke numerous Eastern European languages, We developed him into a tutor status. We put him through a PEPELS course. We linked him up to the WEA. And he now delivers English language, and we employ him to do extra bits of support work with Eastern Europeans. So it's about how you develop your workforce it is is the best way to respond with this. And that's workforce as a formal workforce
3: and workforce as volunteers. I think I think that's that's key for us. If I didn't have key volunteers in the community, I wouldn't make any. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't get into the community basically, and that's because as well it's it's a cultural thing obviously work with the majority of the BME people I work with I don't know the figure off the top of my head but it's likely to be about 80% women Um, the reason being that we largely know is that a lot of the fathers and the dads work evenings and they work in the restaurants or they work in the taxis and we just we have very little contact with them and if I was if I want to get involved in that community if I didn't have key volunteers uh, and people that we've met over the years we, we would really struggle to get, to get anything yeah. done the thing? No, yeah.
0: sorry, sorry that's something that Helen made a point to say and one yeah. of the things that she said in the last podcast was that she's Taking the step to be the secretary of two of the Butetown football clubs because oh, right. it gives her more contact yeah, with definitely. men, and I think primarily Somali men, Yeah, yeah. Is one of the ones that she sort of referred to, one of the groups,
3: and that's a conscious decision on her part. And they'll always know their community better than you, if you know what I mean. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, it is, part, it's part of that offer, and the other thing, the, the, more you, the more you work with people from within communities, either within a volunteering capacity or if you bring them into the workforce, they become your ambassadors. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, know, you don't have to train them to be ambassadors, they, they naturally become it. And we've got a very, very open door policy within our, our organisation, quite literally an open door. <laughs> doors open, people walk in. And we do a lot of informal uh, support, advice, making the odd phone call, this type of stuff. But I always work off the premise that every person you help in that sort of way might take 10 minutes, a quarter of your time, or any member of staff. But the gain from that is immense because mm. every person you help, there's ten other people know about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and ten other people know that somebody helped them, yes. and so they come, they go. Oh, all right, you know, I got a lovely example of some work we did with a with a Polish guy. Again, in an ESOL class, did make the the move to stay here, and he went through our, our ESOL process, got out the other end, got a level of English, went into work. He came back in about three years later. He came up to me and he went, "Remember me, Paolo. And I said, yeah, I remember you. And he's going, "He's my cousin. And he just literally handed over his yeah. cousin to us and said, no, help him. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, it's that type of way you work with people that mm-hmm. the, the gain you get from helping people is, is not only that, that they respect you, but they will actually work. I mean, he was working as an outreach officer for us mm-hmm. yeah. in, in, yes. a, in a totally yeah. natural way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Are you able to articulate that when it comes to writing and drafting community involvement plans? Because clearly, just listen to you, there's a clarity Behind that sort of instance and that sort of thing, and likewise mm-hmm. yourself, Peter, in terms mm-hmm. of you know working with volunteers and, and through volunteers, is mm-hmm. a clarity. You recognise the value of that and the merit of that. Is it easy and straightforward to
2: articulate that in, in the plans? Relatively, you know. Yeah. I mean, we we go into, into quite a bit of detail. The, the the other thing I will mention now is it, it's, it's the depth of involvement as well, and it's the fact that as an organisation we've developed with the changing demographics, and we we've existed for forty years. When, when, when our organisation first ex- existed the, the ethnic minority population of the Riverside area was about five percent now it's 50 mm-hmm. and so we've grown with the changes mm-hmm. of demographics and we've reflected it in our management committee we've reflected it in our staff and I was also uh, a, a, prior to us being involved with Communities First I was a voluntary sector representative on, on the community of interest for ethnic minorities in Cardiff so we build up these huge networks of people we work with, and I reflect that into my community involvement plans. Okay.
0: And if I was nostalgic <laughs> for, the, for the mention of the VETS, nostalgic for the mention of a community <laughs> of interest <laughs> in communities first, but um, which long predates the, uh, the, the sort of cluster configuration of the programme. There's a danger that, that sounds flippant as well. But I suppose, to a certain extent, when, when you're working with some of those ethnic groups, some of those community groups, and those different demographics, some of the work that was being done then mm. is the sort of stuff that was has been built on now?
2: We, we built it in. In fact, when we launched the, the, the current cluster-based programme in Cardiff, we went through a process where the initial employment was ring-fenced to current Community First employees, and we've inherited two or three of the actual employees. In fact, the manager from the ethnic Minority Programme now leads on our health programme. It's not just getting the people in the mix, it's, it's the connections and the networks they bring with them as well. And I think that's always an interesting perspective. So Peter, you talk about more recent influx of, from West Africa then, for instance, yeah. in your cluster. Yeah.
0: And I think it, you, can, you can sometimes almost get bogged down on the the day-to-day and the, yeah. the week-to-week work of what we're doing. But I suppose if we kind of take a step back, work that you're doing with that West African population, mm. now, for instance, mm. will be built on in yeah. 10, 15, 20 years' time. Whatever iteration of this programme or successive programmes mm. is, mm. is doing or is called, mm. yeah, there will be people able to go, well, when they first arrived but when we first had contact they mm. we were first visible to us yeah. we started doing this yeah so it's important not
2: i think sometimes i think of it's just as the here and now yeah. just doing yeah, stuff to long people long, it's, long, it's, long. it's actually yeah. going to be yeah, yeah. definitely yeah Continuum. absolutely mm. and you know as long as you're alert enough what you pick up as well is the globalness of what you're about mm. because inner city life it's like inner city life anywhere in the world these days you know inner city life it, it is a multicultural global global issue people are moving much easier across the planet, you know, for good reasons and and sometimes quite tragic reasons. So Mm. you've got people coming not only because they're they're coming because of the horrible type of situation they might have been caught in and need to get out of. Mm. You've also got huge amounts of people coming into the city that, that are coming just because they can. So you have got people from South America, from all over Europe, you know, you got you got French you got you've got French people working in the city. And that's what I think the JRF work that Duncan's referring mm. to has
0: very much not not discovered, I think it was, you know, known, but I think it's much more sort of clearly articulated mm. that it's important when you're looking at somebody to consider what the migration journey has been, in a very literal sense, where have they come from, via which countries, but also what are the circumstances behind that migration and it might be different motives to different bits of the journey so it could be something, prompting somebody to leave some difficult situations in their their home Mm. country, Mm. settling somewhere but then meeting somebody and deciding to move on for work, for family reasons, for whatever else, and I think it's about about being alert (coughs) to that rather than just defining everybody Uh, by their ethnicity and and
3: that's the, the thing as well, it's very Sometimes communities can become quite transient. Mm. So what we find is we find it can in like swathes. So, for example, at the minute, we have got a big, big influx on our ESOL classes of young men from Eritrea. They flee Eritrea because of human rights issues and, and conscript in the army. They will arrive at Swansea, you know, there'll be 20, 30 of them. We'll see them for a long period of time, for a couple of months, and then they're gone. And the difficulty that has is they're not forming communities as such they're just sort of existing in the city they're not becoming part of a specific community so they, they, they'll get involved but then the work you do with them it could could end tomorrow It's a terrific
0: example of what again duncan was yeah saying,
3: the more transient communities yeah.
0: Yeah. don't put roots down so no. much whereas some people within ethnic minority groups or some ethnic minority groups might be living in in some statistical sense poverty mm. and in difficult situations but actually because they are part of a community yeah. that actually provides quite a bit to them in terms of quality of life yeah. and that we shouldn't ignore yeah. that exactly. either. No, it's
2: a social aspect. Though, yeah. you know, If people have friends and family they can rely on, that's a, an immense benefit. It, it very often is, is the counterbalance to some of the relative poverty they're living in. Yeah. You know, The fact that, that that it doesn't grind them down quite as much because there's someone they can talk to, someone they can visit, someone they can go to for a meal. Or you know, mediating. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. I mean, another thing is we often pick up on quite hidden parts of, of, of the influx of people in, into the communities as well. I'll give the example of, of the Libyan community in, in, in Cardiff. There was a, going back a number of years now, uh, Gaddafi times in Libya, at the point when there, there was a relaxation of. of of the the controls that were being put on them, particularly by by, by American forces, or, or, and there was a so they were kind of stuck in Libya for a good many years, and then then that was that was relaxed, and there was a massive influx of of Libyan men, in particular, coming out coming into 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 British universities, and a, a huge amount of them came into Cardiff, both into Cardiff University and the young Cardiff met, and in the main they were people who were already quite well educated and they were coming here not to do graduate degrees, they were coming to do masters and doctorates. And they were often here for anything up to five, six, seven, even eight, I know one person was here for nine years doing, doing, doing a, a postgraduate graduate and doctorate programme. Universities gave them a lot of support, they were paying students, they were sponsored by the Libyan government, so, so they give them a lot of support to make sure they were integrated in, into the country. But they came with families, and there was no support coming from the universities for the families. And that's what we picked up on. We picked up on the Libyan women. A stark example of that, I'll give you, is we, we, we picked up on them at the, the tail end of one year, and they, uh, it was through a, a, a number of them who were living in the area, and they started coming to one of our mother and toddler groups, and that was the first contact we made. And so we began to say, you know, we do, there's other things we do as well, you know, because they, they needed English language classes, well educated, so they were picking up English very quickly, but they still needed the classes. And so we got. Only a small amount, two or three into classes at the end of one year, so like in June, July. Our classes start up again in September. And I I will always remember this. I was I was actually in it was in my office and I was there. opened the door. It was a day that they were we'd had as a a day when people came for assessment into into English classes. I opened the front door and there were forty Libyan women standing there. And they'd just been told about it over the summer, you know, and they were just standing there. We'd never seen them before. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and, and they were totally invisible to, because they were coming as, as spouses on, on visas, they were kind of invisible to the system, mm. they were invisible to the university, but we could see them and we mm. were contacting them and we were we were supporting them. Mm. And it's vital because... These women are here, like I said, anything four, five, six, eight, nine years. So all the time they're here, they're coming with children. They're having more children while they're here. They'll be going to schools. They'll be going to doctors. They'll be going to hospitals. So they need that type of support to understand the system. Mm-hmm. They need the English language support. And that's the real value of what we can do on the ground because of where we're placed. We pick up on these little nuances of, of immigration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are
0: there any sort of final points you
2: want to make? It's just to be alert of, of the changes that happen on the ground. Okay. And, and you can't take your eye off it no. for a minute. It's through our networks. Okay. It, it's us as a staff complement. It's us a, as a, a well-networked organisation. So we're in constant communication with people. Not a day goes by when there's not a conversation that takes place about something that's happened, something that's changed. And you need to absorb that and be conscious of how you build it into your programme work. Is that fair to so say those are
0: formal... Channels of communication. Both. But also informal. Both. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Sometimes okay. it's very formal. That's very, very helpful. I'm very, very grateful for you to both, particularly Pete yourself, dealing with the Cardiff rush hour traffic. <laughs> <Yeah>. Safe <laughs> trip back to, to Swansea. Uh, not so far for you. <laughs> uh, Alan, of course, but safe trip to you as well. And I look forward to hearing from you again, maybe. Thank, yeah, thank, you. You, thank, you, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Community Development Podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at comdevpodcast, C O M -M D E V T podcast. And to support the podcast and help it share learning, connect the workforce and raise the profile and the merits of community development approaches, why not become a patron at patreon.com forward slash the CD podcast.